Okay, this morning, um, uh, Bible reading is Genesis 22. Um, it's up on the screen overhead, or if you've got your device or Bibles, feel free to open those. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Bathsheba. And Abraham stayed in Bathsheba. Some time later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahar, Uz the firstborn, Buzz his brother, Camul, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Remar, also had sons, Tebar, Gaham, 
Tehash and Maker. There we go. This is the word of God. I did something we didn't have to read that last part. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we come to we come to your word and uh, Father we we come to explore the truth of that word and what it may say and speak into our lives. And so, Father, we pray that above all else, we just be attentive to your spirit. That uh, myself and all of us, as we kind of explore together uh, what it means, Father, to learn of uh, how you work in the lives of people, just ordinary people, and that, Father, you do amazing things. Father, may we be encouraged that you still do that today. Amen. Having grown up in the country uh, areas, uh, when I came into my denominational role some years ago with oversight of our churches across uh, New South Wales and the ACT, I was reminded how uh, vital bridges were as I sought to travel across the state and uh, also elsewhere within uh, New South Wales. I needed bridges to cross the harbour the rivers, the creeks, the valleys, the gorges and so on, so that I could get from one place to another. Bridges, in fact, were important. In fact, they were essential aspects to my journey so that I could fulfil the tasks that I believed that God had called me to as I moved from one particular circumstance to another. Otherwise, I would have had to uh, take long detours or uh, go... uh, other ways to kind of get to the destination that often would take me uh, twice, at least twice the time. It was also the case when I travelled to places overseas, that often to get around some of those places and to move from one place to another required to cross a whole range of kind of different bridges. And while on many occasions bridges were smooth and easy to cross, there were times and some instances where the bridges were quite rough and ready quite narrow and even unstable. Not the particular ones on the screen at the moment, but there are others who were. At least they're ones you're probably familiar with. But there are occasions when bridges also collapse or go out of action that causes one to actually find some kind of deviation or some kind of detour or alternative means to be able to get to the other side or the other place. And from time to time, Judy and I visit Papua New Guinea where our daughter and her husband work as missionaries up there in eastern Highlands. And then the compound where they live, there's only one road that actually gets into that compound. And you have to travel over a bridge uh, to get over the river. This bridge was built initially around the 1940s. Uh, That's an older picture of the bridge. Uh, and uh, in more recent times, uh, before you go to that one, in more recent times, that bridge, uh, they'd put up uh, boom gates and uh, 
there were guards there and fences and so forth to look after it uh, there. But one day in 2014, a fuel tanker was leaving the compound and you can see the result on the screen. The whole bridge collapsed into the river. It caused a lot of inconvenience for quite some time as persons and goods had to be transported or transitioned across the river. The way they did this for a time was by flying fox. So the only way to get goods and so forth into the, into the mission or only to get individuals into the mission other than using the chopper that uh, they did have out at the airport was to actually use flying fox. But sometime later they actually built a temporary bridge on a shallow place further down the river which enabled smaller vehicles in and out of the compound. Years ago also when Jude and I were uh, ministering out at... Uh, at Orange, a similar thing happened to the bridge at Wellington that goes over the Macquarie River. There were some uh, heavy vehicles going across that and it fell into the river. Uh, the only way across there for a while was to use the railway line and go across the railway bridge. Eventually, they, uh, the army created a bridge down river uh, for smaller vehicles and all the other vehicles had to go across using uh, the train line. You also remember years ago the West Cape Bridge in Hobart, which then split the whole um, town or the whole city into two. Well, friends, similarly in life, I'm called to cross bridges. The bridges of our life are transitions that take us from one place to another, often of reasonable stability to another, with confusion and sometimes uncertainty or even chaos in between. And some of those bridges in life can be very rocky and they can appear at times less stable and secure. It's interesting that our research shows to us that often um, uh, the higher breakdown in marriage relationships occurs when marriage are trying to transition the various phases or stages of marriage life in the journey of marriage. And there's a spike in each of those transition areas which we can reasonably predict. And maybe those times of transition, those times when we're crossing those bridges, that we become anxious or even fearful about getting to the other side safely. Often they're unfamiliar. It isn't always straightforward. In fact, life transitions are often triggered by marker events in our lives, things like resignations or promotions, getting married, relationship breakdowns, pregnancies, serious illness or accidents, births, deaths, moving house, children leaving home, finishing school or the movement from one phase of life to another and so on. And transitions also occur for us as faith communities, such as when pastors leave or dear friends move on or when certain ministries come to a close or start up or when there is a loss or grief or change and so on. And as a church, we have been 
in a season of transition. If you like, crossing a bridge from something that has been familiar in the past into a new place which we're not altogether sure will take us. These are all bridges to cross, moving from one phase to another. And bridges come in all shapes and sizes, some wide, others narrow, some short while others are quite long, some straight and others vary. And such stages of life and church transition bring all kinds of responses from us. They can include things such as shock and immobilisation or denial, depression, learning how to let go, testing options, searching for meaning, integration into what will be new emerging circumstances. But friends, the danger is that we can either get stuck on the bridge or we want to return where we have come from and we no longer transition to the next phase. Many of our transitions in life are quite normal. They're quite natural. They're the stages that all of us go through. At other times, transitions are actually initiated by God. The story of Abraham is a story of a man who had a courageous trust in God, a God who initiated a permanent transition and mobility into his life. From the time that Abraham was called to leave his country, he was constantly crossing bridges in his journey with God as God led him into new experiences and places towards the promises that God had called him to. To hear the stories of our fathers and mothers in the faith help us to gain a rich insight into the nature of faith and the journeys to which God calls us. To hear the story of uh, people like Abraham helps us to keep in touch with the spiritual roots and discover the new dimensions or discover new dimensions of what it means for us to be the family of God. Even more importantly, it helps us to gather perspectives on the way that God is with people like you and I when we are crossing bridges through life. And this is true of Abraham, the father of the faith. Abraham's story is found there in the book of Genesis, referred to very often, of course, later on in the New Testament in the book of, of Hebrews, often refers back to Abraham's journey. And the first glimpse that we find of Abraham is found there in southern Mesopotamia where he's part of the Chaldean or Babylonian culture. And he's grown up and he has lived there 
for about 60 years. And this, had, this area was, had rich pastoral land and Abraham's family had done well. They would have been comfortable and they were quite settled there. But subsequently, due to God's call on his life, his whole clan moved north to Haran and there the most formative event occurred in his life. God met him and made an extraordinary promise that he would have a land of his own, descendants more numerous than the sands of the sea, a name that would resound through history and best of all, a means by which all the families of the earth would be blessed. And in response, Abraham was to only do one thing. He was to move from where he was. And he was to set off on a journey which God would lead him step by step. The Lord will provide would become the central reality in the whole unfolding of Abraham's story and for our story. You see, no matter where he found himself, no matter his circumstances, he was confident that God would provide the needs for him and his family, both in the present and in the future. You see, instead of giving Abraham something to settle down with, some secure, tangible anchor, God gave him a promise that was related to movement. There are those who suggest that the pagan religion of this ancient time centred on stability in the midst of chaos. But it isn't necessarily the case with people who have faith in God. Theirs was a faith of travel, of journey, of pilgrimage. Abraham did not settle permanently in any particular location. He was the first of the pilgrim fathers. It was his security in his relationship with God that was the most important. And that had very little to do with remaining still, of being static, but rather had everything to do with extending oneself at the direction of God. It was a faith of promise rather than of constant rest. And Abraham's story informs us as people of faith that God works in the midst of change. Whether those changes influence people in Palestine, Egypt uh, or Israel, Australia or Jural. God doesn't work 
in attempts to freeze life and ministry or permanence. Abraham's dwelling place emerges as a symbol of his lifestyle and by the the spirit by which he responded to God. And for a century he wandered around the land living in tents. And he always became the friend and a witness to his neighbours without engaging in their pagan activities. He didn't isolate himself, but he kept seeking to live as a follower of God wherever he found himself. Abraham was a stranger and a sojourner in the land of Canaan. He was ever on the move. His dwelling place could be dismantled and quickly erected in another place very quickly. It would have been very easy for this wealthy Old Testament saint to purchase a huge and permanent mansion and settle down. Actually, he had the wealth and the manpower to build a castle. Or how tempting it might have been from time to time for him to want to return to the lush pasture lands of the Mesopotamian Valley and the beautiful and the secure land of his childhood. There were certainly opportunities for him to return, but he didn't. Why? Because Abraham was bent on doing the will of God. God had called him to leave his homeland and though he didn't understand all that God was going to do and all that God was going to accomplish through his life and all that God was going to accomplish through those who lived after him, he walked in the light and he obeyed God as God revealed himself. He never doubted God's promises, but it was a journey. Now, I'm not calling you all to go to mission service overseas today. God doesn't want all of us, and God's call upon us is not necessary to pack up and move to another land, but there may be some of you that he is doing that to. But he does call us to journey. to be on a spiritual pilgrimage, to grow. He doesn't want any of us or our church to be static or settled for long periods. This is something that the children of Israel often forgot during their journey through through the, towards the promised land, particularly after they left Egypt. See, occasionally they would find an oasis and they would set up camp and they needed to rest. Rest was an important part of the journey. But sometimes they would then want to settle there, forfeiting the blessings that God had awaiting for them. Because you see, friends, settlers have different focus. Settlers are about building walls, building protection, and making themselves comfortable. But God calls us to be pilgrims, not settlers. And the children of Israel, when things 
weren't going all that well for them, began to complain. When things got tough, they just wanted to even go back to slavery in Egypt and not pursue the journey towards the promises and the blessings that God had given them. We all have bridges to cross on our journey. We all have transitions to make. And some will be tougher than others, at times unfamiliar and long. We may even have to take some detours. But unless we cross those bridges, we will never discover the rich blessings that God has awaiting for us. And nor the blessings that God wants to bring through us to others. There are times we need to rest, to recover, to renew, to refresh, to be revitalized, but not to settle. We are called to be travelers, pilgrims, not settlers. And the portrait of Abraham that is given in to us in Scripture is not of a perfect or even a brave man, but rather God took an imperfect and at times a cowardly and weak man and changed, developed and transformed him. In the next few weeks we're going to be looking at others, of people who felt inadequate and and most unlikely that God takes and uses. And he was tested by his circumstances many times and didn't always trust as he should. For example, on arriving in Canaan, there was a famine, but rather conferring with God, he quickly headed down to Egypt because there he could find abundance. Now, that was the logical thing to do. It was probably a good strategic thing to do. Later on, in fact, God used Egypt to supply food for Joseph and his brothers. But Abraham here was in too much of a hurry rather than to seek out what God wanted him to do. And it was a person-centered decision rather than a God-centered decision. And he had to cover it up with lies and so forth to protect himself. And then there was a time when he became fearful. He became fearful of retaliation and potential poverty and whether he would have any descendants, which came just after he'd been, he had shown some real bravery and some real strength against the enemy. But again, he then tried to find his own solution. Because humanly we be often become impatient with God and God's timing. And he began to doubt whether God's promises could actually materialize. You see, to him it seemed that God was taking too long and that his time was running out. Sarah was growing old. He still believed God. But he became bewildered why God, why he didn't have an heir since he'd been in Canaan now for 10 years. And he listened to 
to uh, Sarah's arguments, which came from mixed motives, and limited what God could do. And he also adopted some of the practices of his former pagan culture in trying to find his, old solu- his own solution. And the outcome of that decision not only impacted their family and the generations to come, but continues to impact our world today. The greatest test that Abraham later faced was the story that we've read from Genesis 22. Things had been going really well now since the birth of Isaac when suddenly this command comes from God that would have torn his heart apart. How could this be so? Just when all of God's plans seem to be aligned and then God appears to be taking away his all his promises to Abraham. Well, although he is shocked and surprised, he remains obedient. And then after a few days following in on God's command at the last moment, Knowing Abraham's obedience and faith, God intervenes with his own provision. Friends, though he made mistakes, overall he never lost sight of God's promises, of God's plan, and most importantly, he didn't lose sight of God himself. The Lord took Abraham from where he was and led him into a deep relationship with himself. There were parts of Abraham, his attitudes, his values, his beliefs, that at the beginning hadn't been touched by divine truth, let alone be transformed. Abraham was moved. Step by step by step by a gracious and a dependable and a patient God. God was working slowly and thoroughly with his servant in order to move him to maturity. It's typical of God to be patient with growing things. I'm not always patient about the God's lack of growth at various times of the year. But I know the seasons will change and I know the fruit will come if I tend it and God will bring the growth through his provision in his time. I know that our God is an infinitely patient Lord who cultivates people that they might become fruitful. I know that God works in the lives of churches 
as they nurture their health and their mission and seek the heart and mind of Jesus with one mind and purpose together as they seek to discern his plans. God is the one who goes before his people. God is the one who travels with his people. And God goes before his people anticipating that we're going to journey with him. And this was evidently the case of Abraham. We come to the end of Abraham's life. There's no doubt that we see a man whose supreme desire was to know God personally and to follow his commands and to walk in his will. Emerging from a raw paganism, Abraham became one of God's most faithful servants. There were many bridges he had to cross. His mistakes are just as obvious to us as are his successes but his progress was always onward and upward as he transitioned forward. And as the writer of the Hebrews later noted, Abraham's weaknesses faded in the background in the light of his strengths. By faith, Abraham, the writer says, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham's lifestyle was characterised by two distinctive perspectives. Firstly, he knew that his time on earth was only a temporary existence and secondly, that his eyes were directed to where God was calling him. So friends, we then for ourselves can move into our transitions, whether it be personal or as a congregation, in trust. Trust. We may not know the destination, either personally or as a church, but what we do know is that as we travel with God, that He can transform our journey into one with meaning and purpose and kingdom significance. Let us pray. Father, we we come to you as people who who want to continue to journey. We want to go where you would take us, wherever that might be. Help us, Father, to grow in our faith, to grow in our love and our hope and, and assurance that you are not only in front of us, 
but you are with us. Taking us forward to a whole new place. In Jesus' name.